0: The Old Pilot's Plane Tales, the fight to first flight. In a few days, on the 17th of December, many of my wonderful American friends, and to be fair, lots of others around the world, will be marking the 113th anniversary of a remarkable event that took place near Kill Devil Hills in North Carolina in 1903. Most of us know the place a little better by the name of the nearby town, Kitty Hawk. The event there was orchestrated by a couple of bicycle repairmen who had developed a fascination with flight. Their interest had been sparked by newspaper and magazine articles about the exploits of Otto Lilienthal in Germany, who had demonstrated a dramatic series of gliding flights and by the achievements of Secretary of the Smithsonian, Samuel Langley, who flew an unmanned steam-powered model aircraft. In addition, the brothers drew on the work of the Englishman, Sir George Cayley, and even Leonardo da Vinci. This culminated in the first sustained flight of a powered, heavier-than-air aircraft by Orville Wright in Orville and Wilbur's Wright Flyer 1. The machine took off from a prepared wooden track, covered a distance of 120 feet in 12 seconds and at a speed of 6.8 miles an hour. Not an extraordinary flight for such a groundbreaking event, but one that we modern aviators look back on as a truly momentous occasion. However, there were many competing claimants who wanted to take the crown of the first flight away from those Wright brothers even some who flew after and wanted to disqualify the techniques that were used on those first tentative escapades into the air. How about we take a look at some of those less recognised pretenders to the throne? Firstly, one should consider the ground rules. Unfortunately, these are often massaged to enhance one claim or another, but it's generally accepted that it should be sustained and controlled flight. The ability to take off unaided is also sometimes thought to be necessary. Way back in the mid-1800s, Félix du Temple de la Croix, a French naval officer, is our first contender. He was flying powered model aircraft, the first to take off on its own power back in 1857. His designs incorporated retractable undercarriage, a propeller, a six-horsepower engine, and a dihedral wing design. His later concepts tried both steam and clockwork power. The records of the flights included some considerable success, and eventually the aircraft were scaled up to man-carrying size. The only technology limitation that prevented them from gaining undisputed victory in the race to become the first was the available engine power. Although Felix and his brother Louis developed an ingenious lightweight steam boiler using very thin tubes to flash water into steam, they were unable to get the power-to-weight ratio they really needed. In 1874, the brothers built the monoplane in Brest, France, a large aircraft made of aluminium. Its wingspan was over 42 feet, that's 13 metres, yet it weighed less than 177 pounds, or 80 kilograms. Several trial flights were made, and it is generally recognised that, after a ski jump, it achieved lift-off under its own power flew for a short time and returned safely to the ground. The aircraft was displayed at the 1878 World Fair in Paris. It was generally thought that the monoplane only achieved a hop, but in defence of his claim to be the first, Felix stated, "'In general, birds, especially the largest ones, only rise and fly because of an acquired speed.' This speed, which is necessary to rise, is obtained either by running on the ground or on water, or by jumping from a high point. Once arrived at a certain height, that allows him to fly horizontally and move forward with just the flap of the wings. He gains speed, spreads his wings and tails so as to form as flat a surface as possible, and thus moves forward without any visible movement of the wings and without falling significantly. Ten years after Felix Du Temple, an admiral of the Imperial Russian Navy took up the baton. Alexander Fedorovich Mozhavsky began work on a heavier than aircraft in 1876. By 1884, he had developed a monoplane design with a 79 foot wingspan and the length of 49 feet 15 meters. A strangely rectangular design, it was powered by two steam engines, providing 30 horsepower, had an estimated speed of 22 knots, and tests were carried out throughout the year of 1882 until, it is claimed, in 1884, near Krasnoye Silo, the aircraft made a powered takeoff assisted by a ramp, flying nearly 100 feet, that's about 30 meters following year, when Moshevsky demonstrated his craft to a military engineering board, it was said, "'We have seen it in action, but it could not take off.'" Two years later, a further demonstration was attempted with its mechanic at the controls, but a wooden member failed, resulting in a broken wing. The story relating to the success of the aircraft came from a 1909 newspaper report and from the military encyclopedia of 1916. more recent examination of the design shows that theoretically with a headwind the aircraft could have flown but that the wing design against the engine power was unlikely to have sustained constant flight this particular claim has not been taken very seriously outside of Russia. Around the same time in Toulouse, an Airbus consortium was working on the first... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. Um, It was Clement Ada, an electrical and mechanical engineer in Toulouse, who was working on the problems of mechanical flight. His first machine, the Eole, was a bat-like design and funded by bruce swain uh, oh i'm sorry that's not right either but anyway it was powered by a 20 horsepower four-cylinder lightweight steam engine of his own design driving a four-bladed prop employing many modern characteristics the eole had a cambered wing section a combined wing and tail planform, and its engine produced a remarkable one horsepower for every seven pounds of weight. On the ninth of October, eighteen ninety, Ada flew his craft, which got airborne under its own power and carried itself around one hundred and sixty feet at a height of about eight inches. Aviation historians generally accept that this was the first ever powered takeoff but some feel that the flight would best be described as an uncontrolled hop. No doubt Ada would disagree, but his later attempts to develop an aircraft for the French army came to an end when the machine was caught by a gust of wind and slewed off the track it used. One of the most controversial claims came from the Smithsonian Institution, the very organization that is now most quoted as the authority on which the Wright brothers' claim relies. Professor Samuel Pierpont Langley was the secretary of the institute and an accomplished mathematician, astronomer, and inventor, a much-admired man, his first success in the world of aviation came in 1896 when his unpiloted model number 6, powered by a miniature steam engine, flew for more than 5,000 feet. That's nearly a mile. The War Department gave him a grant of $50,000, with an additional $20,000 from the Smithsonian to develop a piloted aircraft. Langley was well aware of the Wright Brothers' success in building gliders, and he tried to meet with them, but they cleverly evaded his approaches. He outsourced his engine from Stephen Balzier, who succeeded in coming up with an internal combustion engine, and Langley's engineer Manley finished the design until it was capable of producing 50 horsepower, a very powerful engine for the time. The aircraft design had tandem wire-braced wings, one behind the other, with a Pernod cruciform tail to allow pitch and yaw control. It had no roll control, but instead relied on the dihedral angle of the wings to stay in level flight. Langley named it the Aerodrome. In October 1903 the aerodrome was launched from a catapult which was floated in the middle of the Potomac River and having no undercarriage it was planned to land it back on the water. The first attempt at flight resulted in a plunge straight into the water apparently the wing clipped part of the catapult. On the second try the aircraft simply broke up as it left the catapult. Manley was recovered safely from the water after both attempts. Following such an enormous investment, the newspapers made great sport of the failures, and Langley quietly gave up. However... In an attempt to rescue Langley's aeronautical reputation and to aid a fight against the Wright brothers' patent, in 1914 Glenn Curtis modified and flew the aerodrome a few hundred feet. The courts, however, upheld the patent, but nevertheless the Smithsonian displayed the aerodrome in its museum as the first man-carrying aeroplane in the history of the world capable of sustained free flight. Fred Howard, who has extensively documented the controversy, wrote, It was a lie, pure and simple. Over the years it would find its way into magazines, history books and encyclopedias, much to the annoyance of those familiar with the facts. The Smithsonian's claim would only be rescinded in 1942. Of interest, in 1906, the U.S. Army rejected a proposal from the Wright brothers to develop an aircraft on the basis that their machine's ability to fly had never been demonstrated. This laid the grounds for a Brazilian Santos Dumont, to claim the crown for a brief flight in his machine, 14 biz. There is no doubting the fact that Dumont's aircraft flew. Indeed, it certainly made the first flight outside of the USA, and was the first publicly witnessed flight, on September 7, 1906. Not surprisingly, perhaps, the Brazilians still refused to acknowledge the Wright brothers' claim, insisting that the Fédération Aéronautique Internationale's rules that an aircraft should be able to take off under its own power in order to qualify was broken by the Wrights, as they used firstly a launch rail and dolly to take off and later a catapult to assist their early flights. In contrast, the 14-biz completed its flights on wheels and without artificial aid. So, who did get there first? Well, I think we should discount claims that were made years after the event, and it's also important to differentiate between controlled and ballistic or random flight. Also, if you don't think that getting off the ground in an aircraft for the very first time ever needs to be recorded and publicly acknowledged, you obviously don't really want the crown in the first place. I certainly think that Santos Dumont has a point. The early Wright Flyers couldn't get airborne without tracks or a catapult, whereas his machine fitted the definition much more closely. However, The fact that a year before the 14 Biz was getting off the ground for its first short flight, Wilbur was already making 24-mile flights over the Hoofman Prairie is, for me, the clincher. So, in my mind, the Wright brothers get the prize, and all the rest is just sour grapes. Well done, Yanks! Just don't rub our noses in it. Oh! And by the way, no, it wasn't a Bowie.